You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Well, as the children ages two to kindergarten are being dismissed to go downstairs, I have a question for you. And the question is simply, how many of you have partaken in a show and tell before? Anybody? Hands up. I just want to know. Come on. There's got to be a few more people. My first memory of a show and tell, I was in kindergarten, probably five years old, vividly remember this. A girl brought a cage with her little bird inside, a beautiful little bird. And we all just wanted to pet it and touch it. And she was kind enough to open up the cage and it went on her finger. And then it started flying all around the room. And we were just all in awe. I just remember thinking, wow, what a cool pet. And all of a sudden it went right for a window and went boom. And we just all did that. And we looked at it and the bird had died. (laughs) And we were like, oh! And the teacher, she was so good. She went and she, I don't know what was going through her mind, but she went and she got the bird and we made a little burial box for the bird, a little cross for the bird. And we went to the front of the school where there's a garden. We dug a hole for the bird and we buried it and the little girl could say something about the bird. And I remember that very vividly. And, you know, I can't remember even how my teacher looked or anything, but I do remember that after that experience, there was part of me that thought, I'd like to be like my teacher. Because she handled that so well. I remember as a five-year-old thinking, I'd like to be like my teacher. When we see wisdom, wisdom is the sort of thing that makes us say, wow, when I see wisdom, I want to be like my Savior. That's what wisdom is. I thought, you know what, I haven't done show and tell for a long time, and uh, so I got another hat. Last week I showed you my fedora. And now I got this graduation cap, and so, hey, now another, another little milestone in my life. But uh, I can tell you this, that I'm happy to have the hat, but when I started for my degree, there was nothing in me really that was saying, I'm going to celebrate having a degree. Uh, the point of going for a degree was to help me grow in my trust in God, help me grow in my dependence on Him, and just fall more in love with Him. And I can say that that is what the process of my degree has done. It's helped me to trust God more and it's helped me to love Him more. And I can tell you that this is not a sign of wisdom. The Bible doesn't say anything about you need a degree. When you get to heaven, your academic degree isn't going to make you any different standing in heaven. The Bible says wisdom very much is about truth lived out in love. And that's what we're all called to do. So today we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to continue on in the book of James. James 3, verses 13 to 18. I'll ask you to turn there with me now. James 3, 13 to 18. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does wisdom look like. And James talks about two different sources. And uh, as you're turning into your Bible, I just want to remind you that last week we were talking about the taming of the tongue. And how our tongue, although it's designed to worship God, and again, James is writing to Christians, so let's remember the context. These words are written to the church, okay? So our tongue is meant to praise God, but so often it's also used to curse others, right? And it's not meant to be that way. And that's that's the kind of the struggle that we looked at last week. And wisdom is kind of the same. There's two kind of wisdom that sometimes believers rely on. And And we're meant to be aware of that and turn more and more to the wisdom of God. So please stand with me 
And we're going to read James, I'll read James uh, 3:13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you can find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and please be seated. So in this portion of scripture, James starts by asking a question, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a good question, just face value for us to ask as we look at the the people that we spend our time with. Because the Bible would say, if you want to grow wise, walk with the wise. So you should be able to identify the wise. But really, James' purpose here isn't a question about look around you and find out who's wise. It's really more of a self-examination question. This is really more of a, of a what would you call it, uh, a challenge that he has. For us to ask that, am I one of these people who is wise and who has understanding given from God? So a question for reflection is, where does your wisdom come from? So let me just take a step back. We might not be too comfortable saying, yes, I, I have wisdom, I'm wise. But most people also don't want to be a self-professed fool. Right? You don't say, oh, I'm the fool, you know? And so, and you don't say, I'm the wise, but you are one or the other. In Scripture, you're either a fool or you're wise, and you're growing in wisdom. You're either with God and growing with Him, or you're not. And that's considered foolishness. So, where does your wisdom come from, is a question we need to ask ourselves. Because we all rely on something that we feel is wisdom. So now we need to recognize wisdom. What is wisdom and how do I get it? Uh, Wisdom could be said it's truth and love lived out. Uh, For me, if people were to ask, I think the first thing I'd say is it's, it's the ability to see life from God's perspective and then to choose things that please God and bless others. That's how I'd be thinking of wisdom. It's the ability to see life from God's perspective, to choose things that please God and bless others. But I looked in James, and I thought, I wonder what James has said. We've read three chapters already. Does James have something that would give us an idea of his definition of wisdom? And James 1.21 says this, Humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. That's wisdom. Wisdom is humbly accepting any truth that God reveals to us and allowing it to save us. And again, here we're not talking about salvation from hell. We're talking about sanctification. This is the type of saving that he is intending right now. So wisdom is humbly saying, Lord, thank you for this truth, and now let it transform my life so that I live well for you and for the blessing of others. That's what wisdom is, I believe, according to James. And how do you get it? Right at the beginning of the letter, it's one of the first things James says. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and God will give it. This should be really, really encouraging to us because quite often I know I live without wisdom and I'm like, oh, did I ever mess up? And at any point that I recognize that, Scripture tells me, the Holy Spirit tells me, ask God for wisdom. 
And Doug, he's not going to browbeat you. He's not going to put it in your face. He's just going to give you the wisdom you need when you ask for it and you don't waver. When you ask and you say, I asked, I know God will give it because it's something that pleases him. He's asked me to do this. If you waver, it's useless. You need to trust that God will provide what you've asked for when it's according to his will. And he wants to give us wisdom. So a question for reflection is, how do you read your Bible? If you're going to grow in wisdom, I can guarantee you, you need to spend time in his word. You need to get into the word of God. And when you approach the Bible, how do you approach it? Are you looking at it like a textbook? Do you just want to have Bible trivia at your fingertips? Or do you open it up and say, Holy Spirit, I ask for wisdom. I want to meet you today. Holy Spirit, please help me to understand the truths that are meant to go from my head to my heart and transform me. I hope that as you open your, your Bible on a regular basis, whatever that means for you, I hope you open your Bible regularly, and I hope when you do, you're asking God to reveal his truth to you so that you can live wisely for him and with him. So true wisdom is always going to impact life. God's wisdom and Christ-like living, they're inseparable. If you ask for wisdom, you're asking for your life to be transformed to live a life of righteousness. It's not just a head knowledge thing. It's a life-changing thing. It involves people. Wisdom is living wisely with others for the glory of Christ. If you want a little bit of an image of how these two things work together, imagine this eternity symbol. And on one side you have God's wisdom, and on the other side you have Christ-like living. And that process together is what we're going through called sanctification, becoming holy. You're promised to be holy. You are holy in the sight of God. When you die, you're going to be heaven and you'll be perfected. But in this side of heaven, it's, a pro- it's called progressive sanctification would be the word. It's learning to become more holy by allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our life. And we learn that from reading the Bible. And we also learn that from the experiences that we go through and allowing that to shape how we think and how we rely on God. So here's a few reflection questions for you. Based on your daily living, how wise are you? It's a good question to ask yourself. All of James is a self-test. It's helping us to realize, how am I growing? Am I maturing in the Lord? It's meant to be something that helps us to evaluate our lives. So based on your daily living, how wise are you? How has wisdom humbled you? One of the signs of wisdom is that we grow a humble heart. So it's good to ask ourselves, look over our past and say, what has God taught me that has actually created in me a humble spirit? What good deeds flow from your life that confirm that you are maturing in wisdom? And we're going to be talking about a few of those good deeds in just a few moments. And finally, how are you pursuing wisdom? The Bible says this should be one of our greatest aims. It's worth more than gold or silver. We need to be pursuing wisdom. So look at this last week and think of the time that you spent. How much of that time are you intentionally pursuing wisdom? And I can tell you, it doesn't matter so much about what your activity is. It matters about the mindset you, that you use to go into that activity. God meets you anywhere, and he can give you wisdom at any time. We just to be, need to be mindful that that's what we're asking for from him. So James says, okay, well, I also want you to be aware that there's two different types of wisdom. 
there's a, a worldly wisdom and then there's a, a heavenly wisdom. So he tells us first about worldly wisdom in verses 14 to 16. And he says there's a source of this wisdom. He mentions three things in verse 15. It's earthly. This, er, this wisdom is bound by time. It's short-lived. It's, it's earthbound. He also says it's unspiritual. It's absolutely sensual. It's based on human logic and human emotion. And it's clearly, it's of the devil. He says this is demonic. This wisdom will totally lead you away from God. It's counter to who God is. It might seem wise, it might seem logical, but it's counter to who God is. One of the things that could kind of come to mind is it's when I have that attitude or that I did things my way. Or, you know, you've heard that saying before, if it feels good, do it. Right? Yeah, that's how I make my decisions if it's wise or not. I, I like it. I, I, I get what I want from it. If you have that kind of thought life going into life, I can guarantee you that wisdom is not godly wisdom. It's worldly wisdom. It's going to take you down the wrong way. Uh, this idea of what the source of, of worldly wisdom is from is similar to what he said in, in just a few verses before about the tongue. James 3 verse 8 says, uh, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. So your tongue can be infected by this evil, and so can your mind. And that will impact your actions and how you live out with others. So that's the source of worldly wisdom. So what's the evidence of it? This is we look to, to uh, verse 14. We see bitter envy and selfish ambition. In these three verses between 14 and 16, those two things are mentioned twice. That worldly wisdom, it's envy, and it's selfish ambition. It's this idea of being self-indulgent. The word has this connotation of a party spirit. It's just, it's just I want to live for the sake of myself for fun, for joy. It includes boasting, and it's the denial of truth. Those are the evidences of worldly wisdom. If you want to see worldly wisdom, the impact of it, you should take time and read through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is where King Solomon says, Under the sun I pursued everything that seemed wise to make me feel fulfilled, and everything I found was meaningless. That's the whole theme of Ecclesiastes. Read through that, and you will see what the fruit of a worldly wisdom is. Uh, it's just it's horrific to think that we could give our lives thinking that we're going to have life and it only leads to death. So some questions for reflection here. How do envy and selfish ambition express themselves in my life? Now this isn't meaning that it's characteristic all the time, but each of us, I'm sure, have times where that envy just comes up. Or that selfish ambition. And when we start recognizing it, that's one of the prayers we need to have is, Lord, help me to recognize that, because right now I don't even notice it sometimes. I just think that's the way it should be. Lord, help me to recognize when I'm envious or selfish. What am I doing to combat them? When I notice it, what's my, do I have a, a plan of attack? Is there a way that I acknowledge that I need to surrender myself to God right now to change that, that I have to move away from worldly wisdom? And finally, is my zeal for the Lord based in earthly or heavenly wisdom? Now, this is an important thing to talk about in the church family because zeal itself isn't a bad thing. The word zeal can have a positive or negative connotation. So you can be very zealous for the Lord. And in that, sometimes our zealousness can be a little tainted. And you can tell it's tainted because all of a sudden when someone else in ministry is pursuing something and they're successful, you feel a little bit down. You feel a little bit jealous. Or if something goes bad for them, for some reason, a twisted reason, you feel, oh, I'm kind of happy that didn't go quite so well. 
And then we have to say, Lord, forgive me that my heart still has that tinge of worldly wisdom, Lord. I only want to see you built up in this church. I only want to see you glorified in this church. And thank you for my brothers and sisters who surrender to you and allow their lives to be used by you for your glory. That's godly wisdom. So the impact of worldly wisdom, verse 16, says a few things too. It says this order. If you want to see worldly wisdom, it's going to cause division. It's going to break unity among people. That always happens when there's envy and there's selfishness. And just it's just a broad category. It says every evil practice. The impact of wisdom is that it's worthless. The Bible says that someday we will be accountable for our lives. And everything that wasn't done for him it will be like, like wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire will go through and it will just burn it all away saying none of that was worthwhile. It was all temporal. It was all done for heaven. It was all done in worldly wisdom. Only the things that are done for God and in his wisdom remain. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 12 is a good summary of what the impact is for here for this type of wisdom. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. So I go down this road because I think it's going to bring life, but it ends with separation from God. It ends in death. That's, that's the trajectory of worldly wisdom. When I place myself in the center of life, everything goes out of whack because only God can exist there. Does that happen to you ever? All of a sudden you realize, I haven't even really been thinking about God. It's really been about me. And all of a sudden life goes a little bit out of whack. And it's because I'm not meant to be at the center of my life. God's meant to be at the center of my life. The story I think of in Scripture that kind of closely shows that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom can be working in our lives at the same time is when Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because God is the one who revealed that to you. Then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that he's about to be... uh, He's about to be crucified. And, there, and Peter says, Lord, heaven forbid, you can't be crucified. That's, that's terrible. And, and Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan, because you, have in things, you don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind. There wasn't much time separated from those two conversations. So I know that in my life, I always have to be on guard for worldly wisdom entering into my thought life and not having God have his way. If it happened to Peter, it's going to happen to any one of us, right? So we need to be mindful that we always need to be seeking God for his wisdom and also be willing to ask forgiveness when we've been going the wrong direction. So let's quickly talk about heavenly wisdom. This is verses 17 to 18. And heavenly wisdom, while it does have a source, it says heaven. And let's be a little bit maybe more specific. If you look at Colossians 2 verse 3, it says in him, in Christ, lie hidden all the secrets of wisdom and knowledge. And so uh, it's important to know that when we say wisdom, that comes from God, but so does knowledge. It's not like the world has knowledge and God has wisdom. Everything, it belongs to God. And so when we ask God for wisdom, we can also ask him for knowledge to understand the world and how things work. And then we have wisdom in how to live it out, live our lives out for him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says this, It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. And this is the definition of wisdom here. Our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. 
That's what God is for us when we ask for him. He's become our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So what are the evidences of heavenly wisdom? This is verse 17. A number of things are listed here, but right on the top of the list is pure. The result of wise living, of godly living, is a pure heart, morally blameless. That's what God wants to see in each of our lives. And that's what he does for us. This isn't something that we achieve. This is something that we receive. Please hear that today. These aren't things that you achieve. These are things that you receive. Right? You ask God, you receive it, and then you live out. It's not a, it's not a man-made way to get wisdom. So pure, peace-loving, a word for that would be unity, considerate, gentle, submissive. This means that when it comes to something that isn't of moral discussion, it's not a matter of being right or wrong, it's just a preference thing, that a wise person says, you know what, I'm fine for you to have your way. I don't need to have my way on that. It's not a moral thing. If you like that, let's go your way. That's wisdom. Full of mercy and good fruit. These are the people who know how to love their neighbors very well. Impartial. They don't have favoritism. What this means, actually, is when they go into a place, they are sold on being a representative of Jesus Christ. Whatever situation I go in, I am going to represent Christ to the best of my God-given ability. That's impartial. It doesn't, it's, it's just saying, I'm going to live for Christ, and I'm going to treat everyone as Christ would want me to and sincere without hypocrisy. I don't wear a mask. When you see godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, what you see is what you get in the life of that person. So a question for reflection here is, based on these virtues, is heavenly wisdom the dominating characteristic of my life? Now, it's not always going to be in my life, but is it the dominating? More and more, every year, every day that I spend with the Lord, am I seeing that wisdom is becoming more common to me, that I'm starting to live in the grace and the wisdom of God. And a question for us, is that true of our church? When people enter our fellowship, not when they come on a Sunday morning, when people enter our fellowship, are these the characteristics that describe us? When you talk with your neighbor about loving the Lord and you want to introduce them to Jesus, if you brought them into the fellowship of your friends, if it's at a barbecue or a game, is this the kind of life that they will see exuded from those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what God wants for us, to exude that to others. And the impact of heavenly wisdom, first of all, is peace. This last verse says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this with you or not, but I I woke up, I had a dream last night. I don't have many dreams that I remember. But I had this really kind of dream that made me very anxious. I was sitting in a, it felt like stadium seating, and I remember I was talking with a guy about traveling. I don't know where that came from. I watched Amazing Race the night before, so maybe that was in my head. And we're talking about, we're talking about traveling, and all of a sudden I realized it's actually the beginning of a worship service, and I remember that I was preaching. And I was like, oh man, I totally forgot. And I don't have anything, I don't have my message with me. 
it's all my PowerPoint, all that, it's on a, it's on a computer. So I, I just remember kind of going down a hallway, and I don't know where to go. I'm like, where's there a computer? Where's there a computer? And I find this old 486 computer. It's a five-and-a-half-inch floppy drive, this big tube monitor, and it boots up, and it's, you know, just this little... And, and I can't get on to Dropbox because of the dial-up modem, right? And I was like, everything's going wrong, and I don't even have the announcements for Dan. All of a sudden, that came into my mind. I don't have Dan's announcements for him. He's going to come up here and have nothing to show, and... And all of a sudden, I could just feel this anxiety in my heart. And it was just terrible. And all of a sudden, I just remembered, there's other portions of the dream, but the short version is, I just remember thinking, okay, it's time. I didn't have anything. And I just remember in my spirit saying, Lord, I just want to preach your word. I just want Christ to be known today. And all of a sudden, this peace just kind of settled on me. And I woke up. And, and I haven't felt anxiety like that. I can't remember the last time I felt that kind of, you know. And this dream kind of reminded me that that's the direction my life would go and it was without Christ being at the center. And even doing something good, like wanting to prepare a sermon, <laughs> could make me stressed out and go, if, if my eyes are taken off Christ. Isn't that the truth for all of us? We could do things in the name of God for his glory, but we do it and all of a sudden we forget that I haven't even really been surrendering to him or asking what he wants or relying on him. Wisdom is stopping, abiding in Christ, and relying on the strength of his Holy Spirit. And I pray for each of us, we experience that more and more each day as we mature with Christ. The other impact is righteousness. When you have peaceful heart, you're going to respond differently to the world around you. And people need peace. And that peace will be, will produce a harvest of righteousness, is what the Bible says. So we've got a pure heart that's peaceful, that lives a righteous life. That's the continuum. So the question here is, how has wisdom enabled you to be a peacemaker? How has wisdom enabled you to be a peacemaker? And I just want to end by uh, just pointing us towards a verse found in Romans And this verse talks about that in in one man came sin for the whole world. And through another man, his death caused many of us to be righteous. And the danger of having a message like this where it's a self-test is that we start putting stuff on ourselves and trying to become more mature in our own effort. Okay, so this is what it looks like to be a a good Christian, to have heavenly wisdom. I'm going to just try to do that because that's the the evidences of it. I can do that on my own. I can be a little bit more gentle. I can be a little bit more sincere. And we do those things in our own strength. And what we need to remember is everything good in us is a gift from our Savior. And the only thing he asks us to do is learn to surrender to him all the time. And to ask for him for all those good things to be changed in our heart. Don't waste your life trying to change your behavior without God changing your heart. You will be disappointed. You will be on your deathbed and you will wonder, why did my, why is my life falling apart? Because your behaviors fade away. You need your heart. I need my heart to be transformed. And God is the only one who can do that. He is our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He is every good thing. And he gladly gives himself to you when you ask. So please ask him. And let's do that together. I'm just going to close our service by asking Elf to come up and just uh, close us in the benediction.
it's uh, interesting to take in a service where I sort of half sit back and try to sense where God's taking us. Uh, because that's what the closing prayer is all about. And I don't know if you noticed, but the whole thing can be wrapped up in a completely different way. It's all the same. But we'll see the power behind it. We started out singing, uh, Yahweh, we are your people. We trust you. That's that great phrase. You know, first part of it is, um, God is our God. Second part is, we are his people. And this is the covenant. It's just a catchphrase, but behind it is covenant. It's our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And at the end, when we see the benefit of good wisdom, what you have is peacemaking. And when we're peacemaking... Doug and I are in fellowship. And you and all of us are in fellowship. Our families become fellowship. Our community says there's something there I'd like to have. Shall we pray? Oh God, what a holy calling it is for us to be your people. It's not something we really chose, although we think we did. It's something you chose because it's beyond us. And we come to you today humbly. You know, sometimes we haven't acted like we were your people. We've taken too many things for granted. Pride's got in the way, all sorts of other stuff. Help us to push that stuff to one side. And so see your face. And so be blessed with your love that we become the wise peacemakers but bring our crazy world to rest. In Jesus' name, amen.